Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Two balls, one strike on Perdomo. Sanchez ready. And here's the pitch. Swing and a ground ball right at Veerling. He's got it. Throws to first, and that's the ball game. Phillies shut out the Diamondbacks for their ninth consecutive win. As the Phillies keep the good times rolling, and Rob Thompson remains perfect as skipper. He's 8-0 since taking over. And the Phillies have won another series as they beat the Diamondbacks today 4 nothing. <laughs> hey, Jody Mack, how many of those variables did you have on your bingo card two weeks ago? Uh, not even close. <laughs> Matt Veerling scoops it up at second base to throw at the final runner as Rob Thompson gets his ninth win in a row. <laughs> what world are we living in, Jody Mack? Uh, one that you don't want to wake up. If it's a dream, please don't jostle me. I'll just stay uh, comfortably ensconced in this Philly hot streak that, yes, I, I had no idea was coming. I, uh, Glenn, uh, you and I have been doing some shows uh, recently, but yeah. uh, you know I do every Monday and Tuesday night. When they hired Joe Girardi, I was a big fan. I sure. liked him as a guy. I thought he was a good manager. I thought he was a needed change from what Kapler was. They decided Kapler's way of doing things wasn't the way you want to do it, so you usually go in an opposite direction. You've got a qualified, accomplished, uh, not uh, uh, coming in from left field type of guy to take over. I thought it was damn close to the perfect hire, and I said that every day that Joe Girardi was the manager up until about a week before he got fired. And things were just not going well, and Joe was not getting the job done. And I know how baseball works. It's easier to change the manager than the entire team. I said, listen, i got to make a change. If they get swept by Kapler, he comes in and wins all three games after what they did against the Braves and the Mets, he's got to go. And I never thought I was going to get to that, but I did. And sure enough, a couple days later, Dave Dombrowski did just that and pulled the plug on him. I didn't know Rob Thompson was going to come in here and set the world on fire and win eight consecutive games. Yes, I thought that a change could do them good, and maybe they could get it back going in the right direction. Eight in a row for Rob Thompson? Nine. Yeah. Nine for the team, eight for Thompson. Oh, I thought it was ten for the team, nine for Thompson. Okay. I don't want to give anybody more credit than they do. No, um, unfortunately, the Braves have won ten in a row. The Phillies yeah, have only won good. nine in a row. All right, so under under this, if you take the last Gabe Kapler game and then carry it over to Thompson, they have outscored opponents now 
74 to 24. <laughs> they have slugged 22 game 22 home runs in those games, including this one yesterday by suddenly the hottest power hitter on the team. Out of high school in Hudson, North Carolina. 2-2. Swung on, hit deep. Right field, going back on it, Smith to the track, pulls up at the wall, and it's gone. It just clears. And Bryson Stott hits one out to straightaway right over the out-of-town scoreboard. His fourth. It's a two-run shot. Phillies lead it 3-0. Another thing, Jody, I do not think would have been on your bingo card. No. Uh, Bryson Stott, let's be honest, struggled. Um, go back to spring training, played well, looked like he was going to make the team, looked like he could be their starting third baseman opening day, uh, but he earned himself a spot on the roster and then flat-out struggled. Uh, Glenn, he wasn't just below the Mendoza line. He was getting close to highway numbers, like 100. Yeah. And, man, as he turned it around and shown power, uh, you heard the call there, uh, Francie call, just made it into the seats. Doesn't matter. If you're making it into the seats, you're making it into the seats. Right. And what we've seen from uh, Stodd is incremental improvement. Well, why should it stop now? First of all, he's got to get to the Mendoza line. He's at 189, so he's got to have a couple more good days to get to 200. But maybe he starts hitting them into the fifth row or the eighth row rather than the first row. Uh, it has been a very quick rise for Stott and something that the Phillies desperately needed. You needed Schwarber to be Schwarber and Harper to be Harper, and their stars have to carry them. But that's a big reason why they've won eight games in a row because the Veerlings and the Stotts all of a sudden have started making significant contributions. That's how you put a winning streak like this together. A couple other things. They made no errors yesterday, which for this team is a beautiful thing. They actually stole three bases off of lefty Madison Bumgarner. Uh, this is not a team that has stolen bases over the last few years. I don't think they're exactly going to start playing like the 1981 Athletics, but it is. Uh, I miss the stolen base in baseball. I like speed. I like defense. So to see three stolen bases was nice. Uh, and Jody, they are ab above 500 for the first time since they lost to the Mets on April 13th. I think they were two and three at that point. Right, three and two. Oh, okay. They were three and two. They went to three and three, and then they went below. Right. Okay, they weren't two and two. They were three and two. There you go. Uh, they are two and a half games out of the last playoff spot, which now belongs to the Braves, who, as you mentioned, are as hot as the Phillies or more. They got the Braves coming up in a couple of weeks. Today it is the uh, final game against the Diamondbacks. Hopefully this rain is going to clear. I don't know what it's like where you are, but where I am in Palatial Havertown, it's uh, it's coming down fast. Yeah, it's raining pretty good over here in South Jersey, too. All right, so we will see what happens with that game later today. Ranger Suarez against Kyle Nelson and then to Miami for three, starting with Aaron Nola, and then Washington at home. All right, so Jody Mack, as I said, they are now 30-29. and 29. They are above 500. There are 103 games left to play. What's it take to make that last playoff spot? How many wins? 
Um, that that's a very good question. First thing for uh, Miami's here the next three days, and then they have to go to Washington. I'm sorry, I meant to say uh, then against Miami, then not at Miami, then against Miami, and then Washington. Right? They got to go down to Washington yeah. for a strange five game series. Five games, yeah. Five games because they have a double header, split double header. Are there any other kinds in baseball these days? No. On Friday, an afternoon tilt followed by a Friday night game. I guess they've got to make up with Washington. It might be from the scheduling at the beginning of the year when they had to uh, reconfigure the season into a week shorter period of time because of the CBA negotiation. But a five-game series against Washington, even Washington has won two in a row. Uh, they've, uh, they've beaten the Brewers two straight games. So in the division, the Braves have won 10 in a row. The Phillies have won nine in a row. The Marlins have won five in a row. And the Nationals have won two in a row. I watched the Mets get beat by the Angels on the MLB Network last night. Uh, so they, they, they're actually making up ground in the division, which has been hard to do because the Mets have been as good as they are. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden, the NL East looks pretty good, and they've got their next eight games against the NL East. Can they keep this uh, rolling? Uh, my opinion on the division hasn't changed even when the Mets were up by 27 games and everybody else was below 500 in the division, I thought that to make a wild card in the National League, you were going to have to be north of 85 wins, 86, 87, 88. And that's still, I think, the number right. as of right now. All right, let's go 86. Uh, my number was 87. I'll meet you at 86. If it's 86, they have to go 56 and 47 for the rest of the year. It certainly seems they can play at that clip, right? Well, when you're in the midst of a nine-game winning streak, <laughs> well, you say, "Yeah, uh, that's 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 easy." You can yeah, get that looking done at the larger in a couple picture. of weeks. Right, okay, this is not a team that is going to play at a nine fifty clip for the rest of the season. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> but I mean, if you looked at what you well, I know what I anticipated the start of the season, which, as I said, they would win eighty seven games. It, I think right now that is as real a possibility as there is. Right. Um, uh, the way that they've gotten there might be a little circuitous, and we might not have seen it work out the way that it had been. And, yeah, at this point, if you believe they're going to win 87, you probably would have had them two or three, three or four games over 500, uh, probably more like three. Yeah. Uh, so there, there were a couple of games behind the pace. That's no big deal. Then, all right, teams get off the slow start. Shoot, the Braves were below 500 past the All-Star game last night, last year and ended up winning the, the, the division going away. So, um, yeah, they're absolutely it. If people are debating, and, oh, by the way, we get, did debate. I'm sure you and Ray did. I did on my uh, Monday and Tuesday night shows. Should the Phillies actually be sellers? What could we get if we flipped Reese Hoskins? Has he got yeah. any value on the open market? All those conversations were had right here in town 10 to 14 to 10 days ago. Um, no, they are now a team that is absolutely thinking playoffs. They were before the season started, and there's no reason for them not to be doing that right now. Yeah, we set a date, or I set a date, of July 1st is the date where you got to figure out what you're going to do, and July 1st could be pretty good. Um by the way, yesterday's late afternoon game, 30,000-plus fans there uh, on a day where there was some rain and no bobblehead day or anything. The fans are starting to believe and come out to the ballpark, which we know when you have those, the difference between a summer when people are going out to the game and when you have a bad team that fans lose interest in in the summer is so different. Well, from our radio perspective, it is. But just overall, what it means for the city when you have a team to believe in is just great.
Um, let me give you a couple things from yesterday. Zach Wheeler goes six shutout innings. Would you have left him in longer? He has, by the way, Jody Mack, a 139 ERA now in his last eight starts. Six innings, two hits, no walks, struck out eight. I happened to be in the car, so I was listening to uh, Scott in L.A. Uh, when the sixth inning ended and he finished up at like 90, was it 96 or 98 pitch? It was less than yeah, 100, it was, somewhere yeah, in the 90s. Under 100. Right. Um, and L.A. and Scotty were batting it back and forth, and L.A. said, I, I I think he will bring him back out for the seventh. He wasn't. Uh, he must bring him back out for the seventh. But he was leaning in that direction. I was saying the same exact thing because I had watched the first five innings on TV. I had to run out uh, for the sixth inning, um, so I didn't see that inning. But he was in command throughout and didn't seem like he was given a lot of effort. Remember, he pitched with an extra day of rest because uh, he and his wife had their first daughter, Bambi, uh, delivered this week. So he was supposed to start Friday. They pushed him back to Saturday. So he's on an extra day of rest. Good yeah, week thought, for him. Yeah, not a bad week for Zach not Wheeler. Things are, things are going well for the Wheeler family. Exactly right. Um, I thought he was going to put him back out there for the sixth, and yeah. they chose to fall on the side of caution. And yeah. sure enough, Familia comes in, gets the first two outs, and uh. proceeds to load the bases. So they have to go get him and bring Bellotti in, who faced one batter, a fairly well-hit fly ball to center field, but Oduble pulled it in. Right now, everything's coming up for aces for Rob Thompson. You ask me, I would have started Wheeler. I, it was 3 nothing at the time, and you just go batter to batter. If he gets the first out, then he gets to face the second batter. If he gets the second out, he gets to face the third batter. If he gets the third out, as soon as he puts somebody on, the worst he can do is give up a home run and make it a 3-1 game. I would have played it batter by batter at that point. He chose to go to his pen, and how many runs did the Pens give up yesterday, Glenn? Well, none, uh, but that was kind of fortuitous in that inning when Familia comes out and does that. And and I Familia is the guy that I just have such a tough time watching. Uh, the one off-season move that still kind of confounds you was bringing in Familia and letting Hector Neris walk. And there are always circumstances to do it, and they did. We talked to um, we talked to John Heyman yesterday, and he threw out some relievers that could come and help here. He suggested that the market hasn't developed yet; it's not going to. There's not enough teams out of the race yet. Um, but you know, you talk buyer sellers to me. If I'm buying, that's what I'm buying. Maybe two things I would like to buy. I would like to buy an outfielder who can play defense for me and maybe run a little bit. You know, one of those guys, fourth, fifth outfielder guy, uh, because I don't think Harper's going to play the field all year. And I would like to buy a reliever who can get me through. Well, I, I don't trust Kniebel, but I don't think I'm going to get a closer. A reliever can get me through the seventh, eighth inning. Your and thoughts? Yesterday, when John was on with us, he threw a couple of names out there, said it's really, as you just pointed out, the market hasn't developed yet, but guys who would seem to be available because they're on teams that are probably not going to be in a playoff mix and veteran reliever, one-year contract, blah, blah, blah. He's throwing out the names of Ian Kennedy and David Robertson. Been there, done that. <laughs> Guys who've already made their tour through Philadelphia, and we've moved on from oh, them, God, and they've moved no. on from us. But let's yeah. bring them back for another uh, run through the Philly bullpen. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I take much like I would have taken Zach Wheel yesterday, batter by batter. I'll take the Phillies in a bullpen same way. Let's see how they do the next two days, and then we'll check out two games later. Chances are they're going to need an arm, but I'm not desperate to do it immediately if I'm Dave Dombrowski, but at some point I would, would not mind adding another good arm in that Philly bullpen.
right. Well, it has been a great week uh, for the Phillies um, and for just the resurgence of a season here in Philadelphia. 215-592-9494. And you know what, Jody? It's, you, you have moments during the season that good seasons, bad seasons, that stick with you. And you know the one that I think is going to stick with us for a while. It happened earlier this week. It was Wednesday night, Brewers, when they are down and Josh Hader is in to close oh, yeah. the game. And Josh Hader hadn't given up a run in it was a 38 straight appearances, something like last July. And the Phillies have the bottom of the order up. And you can almost hear with Fransky just kind of saying like, all right, well, you know, there's always a prayer. You never know. And they hit back-to-back home runs and win the game. Um, and that, to me, is one of those ones when, when you put together the season highlights at the end of the year, particularly if, it's, if, if this year turns out as we now hope it will, that's the play that's going to really stick with me. Or well, that, me. That's the inning that'll stick with me. Right. Let me add to it. It was Tuesday night, so it was the first Tuesday game in, yep. in Milwaukee. Um, you're right. You get to the ninth. Haters coming in, who, by the way, had not given up an earned run since the previous July. Yeah. He went yeah. through most of July, all of August, all of September, and all of April and May this year. Had not given up an earned run in close to a calendar year. And sure enough, Alex Bohm, who's playing improved at third base, his average is pretty good. He's got to walk every once in a while, but isn't really hitting for power. No. Has three home runs at that point in the season. He absolutely just mashes a home run to uh, left field, pulls it against Hader, who you know can bring it at triple digits, and that gets the game tied. And then before he goes on this now power breakout, Bryson Stott gets up there and takes him out of the uh, – excuse me, Matt Vierling, who had just yeah, come Vierling. back from AAA. Yeah, this uh, week's hero, second baseman, Matt Vierling. Exactly. He, he's only coming up because um, Wheeler's going on the paternity list. That's how he gets his ticket to the major leagues. And sure enough, he hits his first home run of the year after winning the center field job, opening day center fielder, does absolutely nothing, gets sent down. He turns around to Josh Hader fastball. If it had been Schwarber and Harper, we wouldn't have batted an eye. Well, our, our power guys did what they were supposed to do. Um, no, it was uh, two of the guys at the bottom of the lineup who got the job done for him. And, yeah, that was uh, portending things to come for the rest of the week. Right. Everybody's got to believe now, right? But, but baseball is about confidence. I'm talking about the fans, but I'm talking about the team now. These guys believe. I I. They're never going to lose again. Um, and, uh, oh, I just wanted to take one one last look at the schedule. Um, we mentioned it earlier. they got the Marlins, and they've got Washington, which means another eight games against teams with losing records. Um, and then they're at the Rangers after the Nationals. So that's, what, ten games against teams with losing records? Yep. Man, this is the moment. This is the time. Because I know it does get tougher. I know you right. got, All you got of the Padres down that, the road. Padres, Braves. Braves, Cardinals. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you take advantage where you can. And, again, let me point out, and I'm uh, not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but Miami's won five in a row. Uh, yes, they're still below 500, but Glenn, three days ago, the Phillies were below 500. So now they're above 500 because they've won three in a row, and Miami's playing better. Um, so that's not as easy, and they got two of their best three starting pitchers coming in against the Phillies. And, oh, by the way, the Phillies have lost the season series to the Marlins oh, three well, years running. Oh, yeah. 
and they're already uh, have lost three out of the four matchups this year with the early four game set that they played. Uh, so I'm not chalking up wins against Miami just oh, yet. Oh no 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 no! I never take the Marlins for granted. The Phillies never beat the Marlins. So hey, things are changing. Hey, if Matt Vierling can hit game-winning home runs and turn plays at second base, the Phillies can beat the Marlins. And That's I gotta, what I'm going with. i got to give him a nod because I sat here on the show with you yesterday and openly questioned whether Matt Vierling can play second base because he took a couple of ground balls in batting practice. We're supposed to believe he can play second base. I watched the entire game yesterday. He yeah. made a couple of decent plays. He wasn't tested. There wasn't a diving stop that he scrambled to his feet and gunned the guy out at first. But he made the routine plays, and that's all you're looking for, a guy like Veerling, if he's going to fill in once in a blue moon in the infield. Jody, the way these things are going, he's going to be in the gold glove finals. <laughs> uh, okay, coming up, by the way, uh, you and I are going to talk. We, we talked some uh, Eagles yesterday, but we didn't get into the issue of Nick Sirianni uh, deciding that he wasn't going to call the plays this next year. I'm curious your thoughts on that, and I have my own, and certainly love to hear from the callers and Really fun thing today. Now, we do uh, every week Scheib Sports, this uh, this week in Philadelphia Sports History, where we replay a very memorable moment from something that happened in this town. And this week it happens to be a Phillies game from 1989, which we're highlighting for two things. It is the game. Were you? When did you move to Philly? 1990. Okay, so this is right after you got here, but I'm sure you have heard of this game. It is the game where the Phillies and the Pirates are playing at the vet. The Pirates get up 10 nothing in the first inning, and Jim Rooker, who was their color commentator at the time. Not a bad left-handed pitcher in his day, by the no, way. No, yeah, he, he had a career. Turns to his broadcast partner and says to him something along the lines, and we'll play it later. Hey, you know what, partner? We lose this game, and I'm walking home to Pittsburgh. Well, no sooner does he say that than the comeback begins. And the Phillies, who are down 10 to nothing in the first, pound it. And uh, Von Hayes hits two home runs in that game. Everybody's favorite Philly. <laughs> and the game becomes legendary because Steve Jeltz, of all people, hits a home run from the left side and the right side. And let me just tell you, Jody, Steve Jeltz, play, Jeltz played – Five full seasons here, parts of two others. He left Philadelphia with a two ten batting average for his career. Uh, he had five career home runs, two of them in that game. Right. Five, five for his entire career. Yes. Yeah. Two in one game. Uh, two sixty eight career slugging percentage. I have learned over time how popular Steve Jeltz is. I'm sure you got those calls, too. Not as many, apparently, as you did. Oh, all the time. When we do, when Ray and I did the "Tell Us Your Story" feature, people say, "Hey, why don't you have Steve Jobs? Why don't you, why don't you have Steve Jobs?" And I think some of it is kind of irony and comedy and so on. But there was, for many years, a Steve Jobs fan club. Um, and so today, Steve Jobs is going to be a guest when we do the feature, the Shibe Sports This Moment in History. And I talked to him the other day. He's a charming guy. He's a really nice guy. I'm looking forward to it. But as part of this. We have a $50 gift certificate to Scheib Sports, and here's the theme. Give us your favorite Philadelphia athlete, oh, who wasn't a star, who never made an all-star team, who maybe wasn't a regular, who maybe just wasn't really any good, to be honest. 
But you love the guy. I want to be respectful to Steve Jeltz, so I'm not going to characterize right. him in any way. But the guy that you love, despite the fact that he wasn't that good. Um, and the winner gets a $50 gift certificate to Scheib Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Uh, visit them at their Center City location or go to ShibeSports.com. Um, I had my Savraka weakness, Joe, for years. Uh, I loved I, I, I loved the idea of an Aussie punter. Uh, Aussie how's that rules. working out for the Eagles these days? Uh, didn't well, it worked out fine in like September, October, and then all of a sudden it got, got bad. really bad. The, the only the only interesting <laughs> thing about Sippa's punting this past year was your bet with Ray. I know. Well, that's I paid I had attention only because of that. Yes. Well, I'm I'm glad to glad to help the public. Good. <laughs> Uh, yes, and I bought dinner for everybody. Uh, anyway, he was an Aussie Rules player. He was the oldest rookie in the history of the NFL, which I thought that's kind of cool. He was the Chris Coast of the NFL. I made that dumb bet with him. Oh, the bet I made with Ray with him was the dumbest bet I ever made. So here's the here's, on Sav. Yeah, it was worse. It, it was, was worse than Sippus this year. Oh, it was way worse. It was way oh, worse. Oh man, I don't remember that. So in the preseason, Savage just booting him right. 65 yards, 68 yards. I mean, he's clearing it. And so Ray suckers me, and I said, Ray, I think this guy's going to hit over 60 yards once in a while. And Ray goes, oh, really? Let's bet. And I made a bet that he would have 10 punts of 60 yards or more. 10? He had two. 10? He had two. You went 10? I was drunk with the moment. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, I lost that bet. By the way, you know what the final tally of the stupid bets was? Six, uh, what are you talking six, over? Six and, uh, with Ray over 13 years. Over a 13-year period, you went 6-6-1? Yeah. Six, six and one? Yeah, we did. We <laughs> That's did. great. That's not bad. And, oh, by the way, let me add to your Savraka. although I never would have predicted 10 punts over 60 yards, yeah. he was one of my favorite eagle punters of all time for a very specific reason. He lived about 150 yards from where I live. Really? He well, lived in the in same four, in four punts he could get there. Yeah, he lived in the same exact development. And when oh, nice. he was here, my daughter was of uh, trick or treating age, and I knew where Sav lived. And we walked the neighborhood whenever. And when I, I told my daughter, "You got to go up and said, this is the Eagles punter. Let's see what he gives you." And I remember her coming back to me and going, "Dad, I didn't understand what he said." Because Sav had a little bit of an accent. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I said, I don't. Well, I wasn't there. I just stood back on the sidewalk. You have to make, how'd you do? He said, oh, she gave, gave me some great candy. I said, good for Sav. He's go. one of my favorites now. The big he bars. Lived, he lived down a block in one of the little cul-de-sacs in my nice. neighborhood. Yes. Very nice. Anyway, so here's the deal. And, Jody, we'll get yours coming up in the, in the next segment because I'd see how late we're running here. But here's the deal. Call us with a compelling sports point, either about the Phillies. We're going to talk about the Eagles and Sirianni. You can talk about the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, whatever. We'll review the Belmont. We'll get into all of it, whatever's on your mind. But give us your favorite player who just wasn't very good. Whoever gives us the best story, the best name wins. Jody, do you want to be the judge or you want to defer it to uh as I often do to Moshe. Oh, I have complete and utter faith in Moshe. Me too. That's right. That way nobody gets mad at us. Exactly. They, that's exactly my strategy. All right, so that's it. Give us the be the not the best. Give us your favorite player who just wasn't very good and give us a story with it. Like he lived down the block and gave you great candy for yes. Halloween. That would that would be a winner. 
215-592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Macknow. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All right, Jody, we got to clarify something. I thought, I thought we made this clear, but here's the deal. Uh, the prize today, the $50 shot gift card doesn't go to somebody just giving us your favorite athlete. I mean, you know, your favorite athlete can be a superstar. It has to be a a a, a not-so-great athlete you loved, a bad athlete that you loved, a guy who just wasn't very good who you loved. That, that was pretty straightforward, right? right? A, a minimal contributor. Yeah. That he was a member of the team and every once in a while step up, uh, make a big play like, oh, I don't know, a Steve Jeltz hitting home runs from both sides of the place. We're looking for a Steve Jeltz-like Philadelphia performer. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I picked up on what you were laying down. Who was your guy yesterday? Sotaguchi was the guy you remembered from the the 93 Phils? Right. He wasn't. the 08 Phils. Right. Wasn't one of my favorites, but I thought it it tied into Jeltz because you uh, said that you were surprised that there was this big a fan club. And I had the story about going to the collector show, and a guy said, the guy that everybody requests is Sotaguchi, but explained to me it was because of autograph purposes that everyone wanted to get his autograph on a championship ball from when the 
Phillies won the World Series, and he went back to Japan after the season was over. So, uh, yes, he had a reason why he had a bigger fan base than one would expect off the performance that he actually put up on the field. All right, so before we go to the callers today, which I now do with some trepidation, who was your, during your time in Philadelphia, the player who wasn't very good, who Jody Mack led the fan club? I think you will uh, appreciate mine because I think it fits the criteria that you were looking to lay out here for others to follow suit in a Steve Jeltz-like fashion. Here's the guy I would go with. He was a Philadelphia guy not once, but twice. Came back for a second rendition. Uh, His first time through town was 2014-15 with the 76ers. Now, that's prime <laughs> process territory. There are a lot of guys recycled through those teams, oh, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. There were a whole bunch of guys that came <laughs> through the 76ers during the first several years of the Sam Hinkie process. And Ish Smith came in and actually <laughs> played pretty well. He played 25 games. He gave him a little uh, stability at the point guard, averaged 12 points a game. I think he actually was too good, and that's why the Sixers moved on from him. They said, we can't have this. We He's actually helping us win games. We need to get off this as soon as possible. Uh, so he goes to the Pelicans. They got him from the Pelicans. He goes to the Pelicans, and midway through the next year, um, Colangelo, the elder, not the younger, yeah. uh, had taken over as an uh, executive slash advisor uh, to arm twisting by the commissioner of the NBA to Josh Harris. So he comes in and he basically tells Sammy, you must go get a legitimate NBA point guard. That's right. We they start- do- they started we, the year without a point guard. We do yeah. not have a point guard on the roster. We yes. are an embarrassment to the NBA. So you must go out and get uh, yourself a legitimate NBA point guard. So Sam Hinkie, who used to treasure second-round draft picks, had to give up two second-round draft picks to reacquire Ish Smith from the Pelicans. And he came back and he played well again. He's, he's been a nice little NBA he, player. He turns up. Like, if I flip over a game sometimes at, like, 1030 at night, he's, like, he's with the Pistons for a while, right? Yep. Wizards? P- Wizards. Uh, he's jumped around to a couple of different teams. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, by the way, if you've got a spare half hour, you can go to uh, NBABasketballReference.com and see the 27 transactions that Ish Smith has been in <laughs> during right. his 11-year NBA career. So that works. That Jody, as of now, you win the $50 shot <laughs> gift card. Me thinks I'm ineligible, but thank you very much. Yeah, well, anyway, so it should be don't, – don't give our producer most headaches. The, the theme is pretty straightforward. Give us a guy you like that just wasn't very good. Give us a reason for it and bring something else to the table, as Frank is about to do. Hello, Frank. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I, sure. When you, when you said favorite player, uh, I was thinking who my favorite players were through the years. Um, and we I go did back say to favorite 19... band player. We, we, the, I know, I know. Really I, mean, I, I mean, I like Steve Carlton and all that. But oh, no. were, when on. I was when I was a teenager, my favorite player was Don Demeter. Who? Don Demeter. Uh, I had his baseball card back in the day. Uh, Frank is about my age. Um, I fell in love with that card when I got it. <laughs> I mean, I saw that card and and I just See, fell in love with that card. Here's what I remember about Don Demeter, and then I'll make you make your other point. He was an outfielder, Ray, and I Ray. Yes. 
You know what, Jody? I'm going to do that. By That's habit. okay. So uh, I, I get it. Not a problem. Anyway, Don Demery was an outfielder who either went from the Phillies to the Tigers or the Tigers to the Phillies. I don't remember which one. But do you you collected Topps baseball cards when you were a kid, right, Jody? Sure. Remember when and a guy would be traded, they would paint his helmet, his batting helmet, to take the logo off. Oh, so it would just be black. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I had a, I don't know if this is the card Frank speak of, but I had a Don Demeter card when I was eight years old that had the painted, the bad, poorly painted helmet. Anyway, why was he your favorite, Frank? Um, I don't know. The Phillies were pretty bad. I mean, um, there, my mother and I used to listen to the games, and uh, she passed away like three or four years ago. And I've been to a game. Uh, last game at Phillies was was Connie Mack Stadium. But I just liked his wow. card, and he was probably one of the few guys on the Phillies that were good. <laughs> wait, wait. Was, they lost twenty three in a row the one year. All right, sixty one maybe. Frank, yeah, you are you are a Phillies fan, correct? Yeah, um, I was born in Philadelphia. You follow uh, the Phillies now on a regular basis? Uh, yes, I do. Of course, you, it's, it's so wonderful to only... hear them. That, yeah. And and I please I'm not making fun of you I'm just asking a question. You have not been to a game at Citizens Bank Park, nor did no. you even get to a game at the Vet. No, you're due. I know, and I'm due for an Eagles game too. Well, I'm going to retire. I'm a school teacher. I'm going to retire in eight, like in eight working days. And one of the things is that this uh, this summer I want to go down to the nice. to uh, to the stadium and see the Phillies play. So, like I said, the last time I was there was Connie Mack Stadium. I actually uh, was walking through the through um, it was Met Stadium. I was walking through there, and I met Richie Ash- Richie Ashburn. So he's another hero of mine. So well, there you go, and and thank you for the call. I don't know that Don Demeter is going to win, but it is a name that I remember. One of the things, Jody, when I was young, is my uncle went into the Navy, and um, he was ten years older than I, and I inherited all his baseball cards, which was like, well, let me put it to you this way, and hopefully my father is not listening at this time. Dad, we're having lunch later today, but. Turn off your radio. When my uncle went into the Navy, he gave me two things. He gave me his baseball card collection, and he gave me his Playboy magazine collection. Ooh, two for two. And I was eight or nine years old. And both of those things interested me tremendously. Right. But unfortunately, <laughs> you, you could have uh, at some point ditched the uh, uh, porno, but uh, you also lost out on the baseball cards and didn't turn them into a down payment for a house. Somewhere. Oh, I still got them. Really? I, I'm the one guy who never got rid of his baseball card. Yeah, I still have most of them. Oh, yeah. I still have them. Wow. Oh, and you yeah, never passed them on to your sons or now your grandsons. They're there if they want them. I gave my kids my coin collection last year, my grandkids. They were they were delighted with that. They love the old coins. You know what? My older my oldest grandson, who's nine, called me yesterday. I'm getting off track here, but I'm very proud of this. Called me yesterday to tell me he had made the all-star baseball team in his township. Very nice. Up in Messier. Yeah, that was like a real moment of praise. He said, I got to pitch an inning. I struck out two, gave up one run. It's like... Not bad. Anyway, um, he likes baseballs, but I don't know if like what is he going to care about Sandy Koufax? I don't know. I'll let him. I'll. I'll. Jody, the offer is there for them. You should ask. I should. You ask. should put it out there. Oh yeah, I'd rather they have it than me at this point. Uh, let's go to Howard in Pottstown. You're on with Jody McDonald and Glenn Mack. Now, hey Howard. Hey, how you doing, Jody Mack? We be good. How about you? Oh, uh, pretty good. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Both of you guys are excellent, and you know, from your father on up, you can tell that he passed that trade on down to you. 
Um, I was just calling to say that, you know, I'm happy that, you know, Phillies did finally change the skipper. You can see that the and Fusion had did those guys really good. They're, they're now they look like a baseball team. They're playing like one. Um, the guys are uh, rising to the level that they're supposed to be at. Guys who were doing nothing all of a sudden are uh, contributing like a veerling, like a stud. Yeah, they're they're clicking on the cylinders. I, I don't know how much Robbie Thompson has changed things or is doing things differently, but the results have certainly changed, so you got to give them credit for it, whether it's just hands-on or a different vibe in the clubhouse. They sure have. I have a, a story, a funny story on um, who I think, you know, I love, but just wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, the most feared, revered fighter in Philadelphia history, Joe Fraser. His uh, his son, Marvis, um, you know, had a whole group of us guys. We all got together. We had popcorn. We had all kinds of pizza. You know, we're college kids. We're rooting for Marvis. You know, he had a stellar uh, career with hand-picked guys. And I'm going to tell you, when he fought Tyson, I swear Tyson hit him so hard, Mike was sitting in the living room with us eating popcorn. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Tyson that. did that to a couple people. Uh, Marvis yes, wasn't the only one. Marvis, yeah, Marvis was never the same. Now he's a man of the cloth, which is a better fit for him. But Is that right? Is he yes, still local? Yes, yes. He's an outstanding pastor. Oh, good for him. That's Very not nice. a bad one. Howard, that's not a bad name. I wasn't expecting somebody to come up with a boxer. Um, but, Jody, I'm sure you remember Marvis was winning until all of a sudden it's like he started to face the real competition. Right. Between Tyson. And then and that was that. Previous to that, I think he fought Larry Holmes. I think he was 10-0, and 0, and uh, they upgraded him to Larry Holmes. He took his first loss. Then he got a bunch of guys, as the caller kind of hinted at, hand-picked opponents, and he won a bunch more in a row, which merited him a uh, shot against Mike Tyson. Yeah, first-round knockout. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack. Now on a rainy, rainy uh, Sunday in the Delaware Valley. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend four point four hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Tampa Bay has won the last three. Score! Stan Coase! Let it fly from the top of the circle! Well, that was last night uh, as the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, beat the New York Rangers in Game 6, beat them 2-1 uh, to one to advance to the uh, finals. Again, Stanley Cup finals, they were face the Colorado Avalanche, who dominated the West out there. Avalanche scoring almost five goals a game. Uh, Jody, I don't know how much of these things you have been watching or not. The NHL postseason has been great this yes, year. Uh, what thoughts you got? The Tampa has got the heart of a champion. Yeah. I actually thought they were going down in the first round when they were down 3-2 to two to the Maple Leafs. I know the Maple Leafs have a running history over the last decade or so of not being able to close out series. as oh. well, this time they're going to get over it. Nope. They lose Game 6 and Game 7. And then they just go put a hurting 
on Claude Giroux and the uh, the, the, Florida. the Florida squad uh, to sweep them out in four games. And I said, man, they're back on that championship roll again. And they lose the first two games in New York. They're down 2 nothing in the third game. And then they uh, rally and win that one and put three more on the board. So, uh, yeah, I think Colorado is the most talented team in the NHL. But Tampa really does have the heart of a champion. And John Cooper is one of, not only one of the more underrated coaches in the NHL, he's one of the more underrated coaches in all the sports. Yeah, I hate the Ning. I, really? I, I, why? Because I don't believe. <laughs> You're going to tell me I'm a dope for this. That's fine. I don't believe that there should be hockey teams away from cities where it snows, with two exceptions. you got to have a team in L.A. or you're not really a league. And probably in Dallas because it's one of the five largest markets in the country. But I, I just I, – I, I love hockey, you know, and I love the NHL. But like Carolina, Tampa, Miami, uh, Nashville, like all these bogus hockey towns. And, and, and I just always feel like unless the Lightning are going to the finals, there are six people down there who care about hockey. And by the way, they all moved down there from the Northeast. I hear where you're coming from. Uh, let me see. I'm anti Sun Belt hockey. Let me see if I can make an analogy as yeah. to why I don't hate him as much as you. Um, back in my younger days, uh, we used to go to certain establishments that would car- charge a cover. And uh, you're talking uh, strip joints? What are you talking? Well, no, uh, more bars and clubs and stuff oh, okay. like that. Okay. Um, establishments. Maybe. Establishments. <laughs> right. um, and it would annoy the snot out of me. And the guy at the door, if he had been there long enough and had built up a reputation, could they, the, the owner of the club would allow them to judge the individuals coming in and charge them accordingly. And very good-looking women would get in for oh. free. Well, okay. And then yours truly would walk up and the guy would go, 10 bucks. And I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> you just let the two girls in for nothing, and now you're going to charge me 10, 10 bucks, or yeah. you can get lost, buddy. And I've been standing online for 15 minutes waiting to get in. Well, I'm going to pay the 10 bucks. That's what Tampa needed to do. If you're a uh, Sun Belt hockey team, you need to earn your way into the National Hockey League. You win two straight championships and you got a chance to win a third in a row. Yes, you're an official no, NHL a great squad. Franchise. I don't care how uh, hot your uh, arena may be. Uh, they are now every bit of an NHL franchise. I the original respect six. their talent and their coaching and their scouting and all of that. I just I hate that Tampa has a hockey team. I I, I know this is the most closed-minded thing, but I'm being honest about it. I think one of the one of the problems with hockey is it tries to be a national sport and it works best as a regional sport. And this is from a guy who loves hockey. But there right. you go. But right. while while other sports are trying to become global, yes. yeah, I think the NHL's got to set its sights on at least being the USA. Nah, <laughs> nah, just nah. Mason Dixon line north. That's it. Again, if if the city averages, I don't know, under ten inches of snow a year, you don't qualify. You're out. Huh? Okay. Uh, the other thing is NBA Finals resume uh, tomorrow. Any momentum in this one? No, absolutely not. And there's a very good chance. I picked the Celtics before it started. I'm going to stand by it. 2-2 two, two after 4. That's where I probably thought it was going to be. No one has won two games in a row yet, Glenn. Yeah. Celtics win, Warriors win. Celtics win, Warriors win. I expect the Celtics to win the next one out in uh, Golden State because they are the best playoff road team this year by far. It's not even close. 
Uh, and then they can go home and lose in game six. So it'll come down to a game seven on the coast, nine o'clock start, all the marbles. Will Seth Curry go off for 45 if he does? The Warriors win. If he doesn't, the Celtics are going to win another championship. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. But I'm curious if you think there's a reason for that. The um, the ratings for the hockey playoffs are up. They're up uh, 41% from a year ago. Which pretty that's, Any TV people will love that number. Understand, that still means it's in the several millions, right? It's, it's not a ton. NBA ratings for this series, the first three games. I don't have the fourth game. First three games, lowest since 2007. Why do you think? Late starts? Like yeah, they, their bar was a little bit higher because they had put up bigger numbers than the sure. NHL had done. Sure. Um, and here's what's actually worked for the NHL. And if you had asked me if I thought it was going to work, I would have told you no. The fact that they're going back and forth between Disney and Turner that ESPN has oh. games and then uh, t- TNT has games and it's two different crews with the pregame show and actually calling the game. Maybe variety is the spice of life and the hockey fans are just enjoying the fact that it's not the same crew, the not the same pregame, postgame show That's every single game Maybe. because uh, ESPN has gotten the first, uh, they, they got the entire final, so ABC is, is broadcasting all the games. Yeah, maybe it's just working better to share your broadcast responsibilities. I think that's a good point. I think the other thing is too many of the NBA games have locked, lacked drama. There have been a lot of blowouts. There have been a lot of games that weren't that enticing. Series is 2-2, two to two, but the games aren't all been that great. So maybe it's, that's part of it. Glenn, you know how long I've been following the NBA. I've never seen anything like this, and it started last round and is carried over into the final. Uh, we've all heard the phrase in the NBA, everybody goes on a run. Uh, that even if you're down at some point, you're going to get hot and you're going to be able to cut into that lead. The runs in the postseason have been unbelievable. Like, oh, 10 2 run, they cut the deficit. No, 18 to 2, 20 to 4, 26 to 4. Teams just are making unbelievable runs, which absolutely swing the balance of the game, and then the game's over and done with. So you're right. Maybe some people are tuning out. I've never seen this kind of uh, performances in the NBA yeah. finals, in the NBA playoffs, where teams just can't buy a basket for five minute stretches, and the other team can't miss. Let's go to Raul in Wilmington. You're on with Jody and Glenn. Hey, Raul. How are you? Good. First, I feel like I've time traveled back to 1993. Uh, it's great to hear you both together again. And we both, we look exactly the same as well. <laughs> uh, first, uh, player that I really like who isn't, who isn't uh, great uh, and possibly not even good, uh, Andre Waters was a uh, Andre Waters is a really good player. No, Andre Waters was a very good player. I think so. We're looking but... for scrubs. We're looking for Ish Smithes. We're looking for Steve Jeltz. We're looking for Sav Rockas. No, Andre well, Waters was a, was a very good player. What's what's your uh, what's your you have a Jalen Hurts point, right? I I do. Um, my question is, and I was glad that they kept Jalen Hurts for another year to see what he could do when he finally has some wide receivers that can catch the ball and run routes. What do you guys think about how he will do this year? I would say much improved, and it better be, because uh, the Eagles need to make a decision on whether they want to go forward with him or not. Last year was a test year. 
He got a passing grade. He didn't get an A-plus, but he got a passing grade, so that's why he's the quarterback again this year. And it's the same exact situation going into this season. They, they're not locked into him being their quarterback in 2023. He has to earn it. He has to show improvement because, as you point out, they've upgraded the weapons around him. So I think he needs to put up better numbers than he did last year. I'm certainly willing to give him that shot. Yeah, opportunities there um, for him to develop, and this is the year where you would expect the jump. He's had the background, he's had the coaching, he's you know he's got the experience. This is it. This is the year he's got to do it. And I am uh, I wouldn't bet the house on it, but I'm I'm ready to see it happen. I'm I'm excited about it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, we go back in time with our Shibe Sports this week in Philadelphia sports history. Nineteen eighty nine, the vet. One of the greatest games ever if you were a Phillies fan and one of the heroes of that game. Steve Jeltz will join us. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now a 94 WIP. All righty, he's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on a Sunday in the Delaware Valley. Rainy Sunday here. By the way, it is time for This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ScheibSports.com. All right. Let me set the scene for you, Jody, and then we'll bring on our special guest, Phillies, Pirates, at the Vet, 1989. It was this way. I think the anniversary was this past Wednesday, uh, but it was it was this week at the Vet. That would be how many years ago now? Oof, 33, 33 years. 33, wow. yeah. Yeah, things are moving fast. Anyway, the game does not get off to a good start. The Pirates scored 10 runs in the first inning. Barry Bonds has a three-run homer. Every single hit falls, and it's a disaster. And at the end of the first inning, Jim Rooker, who is the Pirates radio color man, on air, turns to his partner and says this. But Pirates broadcaster Jim Rooker felt otherwise and led off the bottom of the first with a bold proclamation. Well, a leadoff double for Randy Reddy. Well, I'll tell you something right now. If we lose this game, I'll walk back to Pittsburgh. You'll have to. I won't have to, but I will. <laughs> all right. So I, I left all that extraneous stuff in there at the beginning. I think it was, must, that must have been this week in baseball, right? Uh, anyway, so you heard that, and you heard what he said. And then, Jody, Von Hayes gets two back with a home run. But Nick Leva, who's Philly's manager at the time, decides to pull some of his regulars. Tommy Herr comes out. In the first inning, he's pulling guys. Steve Jeltz comes in at second base, and he is on base when Hayes hits that home run. And then, in his next at-bat, this is what happens. Jeltz with a drive to right center. Ball is gone. Jeltz with a two-run homer. The Pirate lead is now 10-6. Steve Jeltz gets only his third career home run. And he joins us now, Steve Jeltz. How are Steve? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm blessed. How are you? Uh, we're great, and it is so nice to catch up with you. Talked to you earlier in the week about this and this game. We're gonna t- we're gonna go through the rest of the game, but I kind of want to start with the basic setup, which is the Phillies are down ten to nothing. The game had just begun. You guys hadn't even gotten a bat yet. You're actually not even in the game yet. Um, when when Leva, Nick Leva, who's the manager, turns to you and says, yeah, go on in, how did you feel about that? 
Well, you know, I, it's Major League Baseball, and and I made it a point in my life to be thankful for where I was at, and I'll play. Doesn't matter what the score is, and especially in a, in a ten run deficit in the first inning, we have nine innings to catch up. So, you know, I, and I'm hitting in the number two hole, not number eight hole. So I'm <laughs> loving life. I'm sure, I'm like I get bitches tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's I, I was looking forward to it. I had fun. Yeah, batting batting second was not was that your usual place in the lineup. I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah, yeah that's where I was going to go. You uh, so what? You got a half an inning late start. It's basically a full game left there on the table. What was it like in the dugout? A couple of guys, as Glenn pointed out, were pulled down ten nothing. But you got eight and a half innings left to go. Uh, dugout uh, forlorn. Dugout uh, guys pumped up because they're going to get a chance to play where they don't usually get a chance to play. What was it like in the dugout in the bottom of the first inning? Well, actually, I was I had been up upstairs at, at at about five runs on the Pirates, and we switched pitchers, and it was it was long. I went upstairs for a minute. Uh, into the clubhouse, and I'm watching on TV because it was it was dreadful in the dugout at that point. When the guys came in, I came down, and you know I'm being cheerful, and I'm like, "Come on, guys, let's go!" I said, "We got ten, we got nine innings to catch them. We got ten runs to catch up. Let's get a couple here, a couple there." And I'm pumped up. I guess Nick saw that and said, "If you're that pumped up, you can go in the game." So you know, I, I was more than happy to do that for sure. But at any rate, I got that from Mike Schmidt for sure. He told me one day he was nervous about a game and. And I looked at him, I said, why are you so nervous, Smitty? And he turned and looked at me and said, this is the big leagues, right? And I, so that was early in my career. So I had that same attitude. I remember that. So, I, you know, as always, yes, it is the big leagues. Let's go play the game and have some fun. All right. So um, you hit the, the home run first time up. Was that, I should have looked, was that left-handed or right-handed? It was left-handed. My first at bat, I got a walk. Um, and Bob Walk was pitching. And the Phillies teach uh, pitchers. And he used to be with the Phillies. Yep. He, they teach pitchers when you get an zero and two count, you keep guys from hanging out over the plate. So you this next that zero and two pitch is usually pushing you off the plate. Um, back in those days, under your chin probably. Um, but he didn't do that my first at bat, and I think I fouled off a bunch of pitches, five or six pitches, and I ended up getting a walk. And then Vaughn went deep, and so the next time I come up, I'm thinking I'm not getting zero and two again. And Walkie was still pitching, and I. He got me 0-2 again, so I know this next pitch pushing me off the plate because I was hanging out on the plate the first at bat. And I kind of was thinking inside he's going to throw this and push me off the plate, but I got to protect the outside, and he hung a curveball right down the middle. And I was like, oh, my, boom. And I didn't know. Of course, I'm just trying to make contact, and it was gone. So that's how that worked out. All right. So then your third time you come up, Philly's still down, two men on base, and let's play it, Moshe. A drive to left field. Bonds is back to the warning track for the wall. It's gone. I don't even. I don't believe it. It's now 11 to nine. And these fans who came into the ballpark tonight were stunned by a pin-run first inning by the Pirates. Now on their feet, cheering their Phillies who have made a tremendous comeback to make it an 11 to nine ball game, and they want a curtain call for Steve Jelts. They won a curtain call for Steve Jeltz. Yeah, yeah you know, I, that, that was uh, from the right side of the plate. They had brought in, I think, um, they brought in a left-handed pitcher because I had I'd been successful twice on the on the uh, left-hand side of the plate, so they wanted to push me to the right-hand side of the plate. And, and he went 2-0 and to me. So I picked the spot, 
and that's what you do two and oh three and one pick a spot if the pitch is there don't if the pitch is not there don't swing but if it's there let it rip and that's what happened he threw it right in my spot so fortunately it went out all right, Steve, I want to test your memory a little bit because we just heard the clip, and the announcer certainly referenced it, that the crowd was into it. I would think down 10 nothing in the first inning, the crowd would either be leaving and or relaxing. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones back there. You go go and uh, hop on your phone and spend the next two hours uh, re- referencing stuff and or making calls and or s- sending texts or tweets. But it sounded like the crowd was pumped up when you guys got to within two runs at that point. How good a crowd was it that day at the vet? Oh, the Philly fans. I mean, I, my whole career and even after I finished playing in Philadelphia, people used to ask me, how do you play in Philly? How tough is that? And I think when I first came to Philadelphia, Gary Maddox and Matthews told me, they said, first thing we're going to tell you, rookie, don't read the paper. Is that because one day you'll get built up, the next day you'll get crashed. He said, just don't let that be a part of your game. Go out there and play your game without thinking about it. So I'll say this about the Philly fans. They're the best fans. I played everywhere, and they're the best fans I've ever seen. And and in that in that game, in the second inning, after Vaughn hit hit the home run, or you know, we, he hit his first home run, the fans were in the game then. They saw it coming, I think, but they knew we didn't give up and we were playing hard. So as long as you play hard in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get your booze. But at the end of the day, they know the game. And uh, like I said, Philly fans are the best I've ever seen. I love it. I, you know, I, people said, how do you do it? I said, I didn't have a problem. I mean, you know, I heard some things and people yelled at me, but it's all good. I do the best I can and give you everything I got 100% the whole time I'm playing. And whatever happens after that happens. And I think the fans recognize that and they stick behind that, win or lose. All right, Steve Jeltz. You played eight years in the major league, seven seasons with the Phillies. Um, you hit five home runs in your career. You were there for your glove. You were not there for your power. But you hit two home runs in one game. Explain it. Well, I'll say this. Uh, my, my, the first game I played with starter was behind Lefty. He saw me working out, and he said, get your rest tonight, rookie. You're, you're starting behind me tomorrow. So my infield's Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, and Mike Smith. Wow. Okay, so... So I come up, and I know nothing about the National League. I grew up in the Midwest, and I grew up in Kansas. And, I, you know, in the Myron League, pitchers don't hit. So, you know, they put me in the number eight hole, pitcher behind me. I get it. I had two outs, nobody on, and I hit a line drive right at the second base. But I'm kind of feeling good about myself. And Pete and Joe brought my glove out, and they jumped on me, and they said, rookie, you need to learn with. We want you to hit. We put you somewhere else. We want you to learn how to be a number eight hitter. Now we start the next inning with two outs. He said, you need to learn how to do it. So you get, you get something attached to you that you aren't a good offensive ball player, but at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And I think it's a lost art to some degree at this point in time that we're forgetting that when there's a man on second base with nobody out, lead off double, we need to try and move the runner over and get runs. And and that's what I learned to do, and I learned to do it pretty well. That's why I lasted so long. But when you, it's a double-edged sword. When you get, when you become a number eight hitter, that's good, and you're good doing your job. Then it's hard to get out of that number eight hole. That night I was hitting number two, and they didn't have to pitch around me. They didn't want, they wanted to pitch to me because obviously I'm hitting two thirty-five or something. I don't know. But at the end of the day, they got three, four, five coming up next, and they're not just trying to put me on. So I got pitches. That's that's the reason. Steve, in addition to being one of just a uh, finite number of players that have hit home runs from both sides of the plate in one game, 
you are also the Major League Baseball all-time leader in several categories that have to do with French-born players. You were born in France, and there just haven't been that many Major League Baseball players who were born in France. Do you still pay attention to who's coming over from France to play in the major leagues and potentially take your uh, lead in the statistical categories as the greatest all-time French-born baseball player? <laughs> you know, I, I've never been a stats guy. You know, I, I'm, I'm about to, how to win ball games, and if you have to sacrifice yourself, you do it. I think my dad was in the military, um, so he was a World War II draftee, 47 years he served in the Army and the Army Reserves, uh, Korea twice in Vietnam. So, you know, that's why I was born in France. Steve, um, you are uh, one of many players who uh, played in the vet during that time who ended up um, developing cancer. You had, you had brain surgery, right? I did indeed. Mine, unfortunately, was a, it was a brain tumor, and it was non-cancerous. Okay. You know, I know... You know, my, my very good friend, dear friend, Darren Dalton, um, he passed away recently. Tug McGraw, um, John Bukovic, and, you know, and then I guess there were several Eagles um, who had cancer, and unfortunately that, that they didn't make it from that. But um, mine, I had brain surgery in 2003, and I've been blessed ever since. I've been doing well. Well, that's good to hear. Steve, um, let me ask you a question about the vet as well. Um, potential injurious uh, situations after your career aside, what was it like to play on that turf? Because we've heard so many stories from so many people on both the baseball and the football side. Did we okay with it? Did you actually think, oh, I'm going to get a true hop, I don't have to worry about a bad bounce, but it just wasn't con- conducive to the kind of pounding that your legs had to take. What do you think about playing at the vet? Well, you know, I think it's what we do um, in teaching kids now. We're trying to, we started a group called uh, Primal Sports and um, teaming up with uh, Above and Beyond Sports Group, uh, Lou Laskowski. Um, we have, we have, we're, we're teaching kids one thing, and, and, and the work ethic is what that's all about. I remember Mike Smith coming over to me one day when I was, before I really started the game, I hadn't started the game. And he came to me while I was taking ground balls and he said, he looked at me and he said, he said, you ever miss a ball? And I thought to myself, did everybody talk about this scene that ran from the third base dugout across shortstop and out in the right center or something? And, and I, I just looked at him and I thought to myself, well, yeah, I miss balls. And he said, well, I've been watching you. You haven't missed a ball and you've been taking them off the bat. You've been taking ground balls. He said, he said, I just wondered. He said, because you make it look so easy. And I thought to myself, well, we're playing on carpet. Now, as far as the pounding on the legs, I used to take 150 ground balls before I started starting, and then I kept doing that afterwards. And Smitty came up to me and said, man, you need to take it easy. We've got a 162-game schedule. But I think me being a, a, a football and a multi-sport athlete, and I played football, I trained like a football player. So my body had to – I just did all I could do every day, and it didn't bother me. Um, I, to this day, I turned 63 May 28th, and – and and to this day, I can still do anything I could do back then. I mean, not not quite as long, and probably feel a little worse when I finish sometimes. But you know, I've been blessed. Everything's been fine. And and that turf, it's it's astral turf. I don't care. I mean, people say they take a pounding. I think at shortstop, you're probably taking a pounding more than anybody. And you know, I mean, it is hard on you. I mean, astral turf is hard on you. But if you get your body ready for it, then I think you'll be fine. 
Steve, let's close on this. The game was remembered for two things, as we said. You hit those home runs from the left side and the right side, but Jim Rooker vowed early in the game with the Pirates up 10-0, we lose this game, I walk home. He later did. He waited till the end of the season. He made it a charity event, did in October, walked 312 miles over 12 days, raised $100,000 for the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Were you aware of his boast and how that followed up? Not at the time. You know, I, I didn't have any idea, and then, then I saw when that happened, and I heard about it, and I, I understood that they, they made quite a bit of money for something, but that's how, how God works. He makes turn something something in the air. If be positive or negative, he turns it into something good. So, I mean, fortunately, that came out to be a good thing, and it helps out a lot of people. Um, real quick, I'd like to say that what we're trying to do here um, is, uh, with the Above and Beyond Sports Group and, and uh, uh, Primal Sports, is to take care of kids and, and teach them, empower them um, through through sports, um, trying to get them to – this world's a tough place to live in now. And so we're trying to make these kids something that, that – um, uh, they might not get at home because it all starts at home. So, you know, whatever we can do to try and teach them about Christ, teach them how to be good young men, that's what we try to do. So, um, fortunately, Ray Moore and Flanagan um, down in Reading and Lou met with them, and, and they lit up about our ideas. So maybe we can uh, get together with a lot of people and get something done for these kids because this isn't about money. It's about the youth and trying to get them in the right direction. All right, let's close in. If people want to reach out to you, is there a website or a way they can do it? Absolutely. Um, they can go to Primal Sports or Above and Beyond Sports Group. Um, and like I said, uh, Schaefer Trucking, uh, we've met with them. Uh, ben Jacoby has the same Christian beliefs. Rob Holiday with the Phillies. Uh, David Nacito, Phillies alumni. Um, I want to thank you guys for reaching out to me, uh, along with John Brazier, who came who got us in contact. Um, all these people, I mean, they're coming together right now, and I've been, been trying to do, you know, I try to do things on my own, but I always tell people it's above my pay grade on this business side of it. I do baseball, and, and fortunately I had the opportunity to play with all Hall of Famers, and, and uh, they taught me the game, and I was a teacher um, learning. So, you know, I've been able to reach out and get to them. So that's what that's We appreciate about. it and uh, love talking to you. And, and I know a lot, of, a lot of our listeners got excited when they heard you were coming on. So yeah. it's nice to catch I up. Can, I, I get excited when I get to know Philadelphia's listening because I love Philadelphia. There you go. Take Thanks, take care, Steve. Steve. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. So, Jody, the the lineup, the first day he played, first base, Pete Rose, second base, Joe Morgan, third base, Mike Schmidt, on the mound, Steve Carlton. Yeah, it's not a bad uh, group of teammates. <laughs> You'll be okay with that. You imagine you're looking around. I mean, I know Rose isn't a Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Famer. You imagine looking at all sides of you, and it's like, and not even just Hall of Famers, like all-time greats. A phrase that I've used, I've heard used, and then I decided to adopt it for myself. Which doesn't belong and why? <laughs> yes, Steve Jeltsin, the list of names that you just ran down. Anyway, that that was a, that was a lot of fun, and that is our this week in Philadelphia sports history. Brought to you by Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. As we said, the the key today is call with something pertinent to the conversation, something interesting. Don't just call it win a contest, and give us a player you really liked. Who wasn't very good. By the way, Andre Waters was a really good player. That, that's yeah, not he, even he close. First-team All-Pro. Uh, yeah. That kind of disqualifies you from today's conversation. Yeah, and 
If you give us that and you give us a good story, you could win that $50 gift card to Shipe Sports. Let's get Rob in here before the break. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm fine. Jody knows me from the same. I met him and his daughter back. Remember back in there were the uh, t- uh, Tony Luke's? Yes. Bringing daughter to work. And I sent you the card when you had those heart surgeries. The St. Joseph's card. <laughs> yes. Always uh, love hearing from you, Sam. Yeah, good man. And, and I agree with, uh, with uh, Glenn about the hockey thing, by the way, even though I'm a baseball fan, about the snow and the hockey. That's right. It's, it's a good point. You, you, uh, you, 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 snobs together. God bless yes. you. It's not snobs. Uh, it's not snobs. It's regional. Yeah, Hockey's okay. meant to be played where it's cold. The guy that the Phillies, I'm, I'm in my 70s. I've been following the Phillies since like 1954, 55 and stuff. Back in 1958, there was a, an outfielder. Right? He had one year. He was sophomore of the year. Harry the Horse Anderson. If you look it up, he had a, like a mediocre freshman year. They had a, 24 home runs a second year, 99 RBI. And we didn't hear from him ever, ever since. He just wanted the nothingness. But I was not Sparky Anderson, right? Uh, no, Harry the Horse. He was a right okay. fielder, right. a power hitter, All big right. left-handed power hitter, about 6'3". Got it. You know, and uh, if you look him up, you know, Harry Anderson. Can okay. I tell you an interesting anecdote with Richie Ashburn, if I may, please? Sure. Richie. I saw right before he passed. I, I saw Richie Ashford, and I and I told him that I was listening to a Phillies game in Memorial, down the shore Memorial Day of '54 when I was a kid. When Duke Snyder made an incredible catch with two outs in the ninth inning off of Willie Jones, who would have won the game for the Phillies. And the Phillies dugout came running down the field, claiming he trapped the ball. And Richie remembered that. Richie says, "Was my name's real name is Richie?" He says, "Richie, to this day, I swear Duke could trap that ball as well." You know, but I remember that from 1954. When I guess the old hated Brooklyn Dodgers, you know that's something that stuck in my mind. Now, anyway, back to back to this team. I think that they're, I think that they were they were underachieving at Glenn and uh, yep. and uh, you know Jody. I, I think and I think that they're. I think things even out in baseball. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not. It's like an equation in a way. Yeah, they do. Know? And and thanks for the call. And um, they were not that bad. They're not this good. I said before the season, 87 wins. I thought, geez, I was dead in the water. You and I talked before, or at the start of the show, Jody, I said, what do you think? I think you said 86. Yep, 86, so, 87 could get right. in. So we're right back there. And uh, I think Sam's point was good. 162 games, certainly the largest season of any professional sports. Things even out. Uh, over the course of 162, chances are, unless you have massive injuries, you're going to be what you're supposed to be. And right now the Phillies have gotten back to where they should be, above 500, one game above 500, but above 500. That's a talent level on this team. 215-592-9494. You know, I said earlier we were going to get to the uh, Eagles and Nick Sirianni um, deciding that he is not going to call the plays. Let's do that in the next segment. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. So, Jody, you and I yesterday talked about the Eagles mini camp, which uh, came and went and not much happened, but uh, there it was. Uh, but there was an interesting development during it, which is that Nick Sirianni kind of confirmed that he didn't finish up doing the play calling offensive play calling last season, gave it up uh, middle of the season. Uh, by the way, it got a lot better at that point, or at least the offense got a lot better at that point. Uh, Sean Steichen took over. I don't know if that was after the Dallas debacle or the Raiders embarrassment. or I don't think he specified, but they were 2-5, and five and they ended up you know, going 9-8, and eight and the offense got much better. Um, but he said that he, he, Sirianni, is going to give Steichen the play-calling duties moving forward and that this is going to be the way it's going to be. And when asked to explain it, this is what Nick had to say. 
What I noticed was like, well, I wasn't communicating enough with Gannon about something, or I wasn't communicating enough with the defense when, um, you know, something that they needed to be pumped up, or Coach Clay, or the special teams. There's a lot of things that have to happen to offense before, you know, a, a drive starts. You know, I really trusted Shane. Shane and I spent so much spent so much time throughout the week together. Um, again, coming up with the with the plan with you know between amongst the the coaches and you know we, we shifted to it during one of the games. I, I felt comfortable. So Jody, um, this is a big deal. Not really, in my mind. Um, and uh, this didn't come out till after my shots on WIP were over for the week, but I got some feedback on my Birds 365 show, um, which I, I like the phrase my partner John McMullen uses. That makes Sirianni a CEO coach. Mm-hmm. And there are probably only five, six, seven coaches out of 32 head coaches, a whole bunch of new coaches we don't know yet, um, that are quote-unquote CEO coaches, which means they don't call plays on one of the two sides of the ball. And McMullen says he would prefer a CEO coach over a coach that is spending an imbalanced amount of time on one side of the ball or the other. Usually it's a guy who's had a significant uh, amount of success, you got to establish yourself as a guy on one side of the ball, and then you become highly thought of enough to be able to go, you know, I'm going to back off this. I'm going to let somebody else do this, and I'm going to oversee the team. Apparently, Sirianni did it after just seven or eight games, but it worked. So so let's roll with it. It, it did work for them last year. I will be more on guard to judge uh, Steichen. Last year I was judging Sirianni every single game because I thought he was calling all the plays still. Um, so, yes, uh, ups the pressure on Shane Steichen this year. But if Sirianni thinks he's up for the task and it does free him up to be more in touch with what's going on in special teams and defense and the like, uh, good for him. The fact that he had enough confidence in his staff to turn that responsibility over and we saw improvement I'll be open-minded going into this season and say, and say, hey, this should work again. Yeah, and the bottom line is it did appear to work much better with Steichen than it did with Sirianni. And maybe it is because Nick is a first was a first-year coach, and he's trying to figure out everything. And as he said in that cut, and he said later, it's like, you know, i got to deal with the referees, and i got to deal with my special teams coach, and i got to figure out what's going on. And it's a huge job being an NFL head coach, and he was a young guy, and it was the first time, and I mean, it's it, it, you can look at it two ways. You can kind of, people who would be critics would say, oh, look, see, he's really not up to the, the, the job like Andy Reid was once upon a time when he came here and ran everything, and you could look at it that way, or you could look at it that way that, hey, the guy isn't such a big ego that he can see what isn't working and decide to change that, and he changed it. And it did work. And he's listen. He's not going to be a potted plant out there, to to quote John Middleton. Um, I'm curious to know how much, if any, of that was a factor in the switch from the pass to being run dominant, um, because the whole nature of their offense changed. You yep. remember that game against Dallas, where they run the ball f- four times or some insanely low amount. Um, listen, the best coaches are coaches who know how to delegate. Um, the best the the smartest people in any business are the people who know what they can handle and can be honest about what somebody else there might do as well or better than him. 
Uh, Nick had not called plays before he came here. I think it was part of the plan that he was going to dazzle people with that, but that that didn't happen. And so he gave it up. They moved on. They they got better. Um, I don't know what else to say. You know, you might say maybe that's his weakness, but maybe just Steichen's better at it. Right. I'm not going to call it a weakness for Nick because he decided to do it. If anything, I'd call it more of a strength because even when he's still in the I got to impress the boss, the league, my players, the Philadelphia fan base time period, he said, no, I got to do what's best for the team right now, and I'm going to turn it over to Shane because I think that will work best. So I give him more credit uh, for that than maybe others do. But I will hold back a little bit on saying Shane Steichen did as good a job. The Eagles' early season schedule was difficult. If you compare last year's schedule, and I know it's in 2020 hindsight, but that's fair enough to do, and go back and see who they played the first seven games as compared to who they played the last ten games, yeah, they, the the schedule lightened up considerably. You had Tampa in the first, you had Raiders on the road in the first seven, Kansas City in the first seven. Yeah, these are all playoff teams. They played a lot softer schedule in the second half, and I will concede that that can have as much to do with the Eagle offense getting better as the fact that it was Steichen, not uh, uh, the head coach, calling the plays. And the other thing, which ties back into what we were discussing yesterday, well, it took him about six or seven games to overcome the inactivity in camp that they didn't go through all yeah. that many drills well, I think and the that's like. True. I that agree you got to get up to speed. That uh, yeah, the second half of the season we were better. Why? Oh, because you've actually been playing football. That's a good way to get better is play some football. So a couple of things aligned for Shane Steichen have more success than Sirianni did comparing the first half of the season to the second half of the season. But I'm very willing and able to give Steichen a chance to show that last season wasn't a fluke and that he's a good play caller. Uh, all Everything you said, I mean, I agree with your basic premise, except that no matter who the opponent was, I can look with my eyes and say that play calling in the early part of the year was dreadful. I mean, they, he just refused to run the ball. And then they went to the run, and it worked. So, I, so let, let me ask you a question off that, because yeah. uh, certainly we uh, have our preconceived notions of Jeff Lurie. Uh, there's the now infamous story of them going into Green Bay, beating the Packers, and in the after the victory uh, early week meeting, Jeff Lurie questioning Doug Peterson, why didn't we throw the ball more? Right, I remember. That they went to Green Bay and Peterson beat thing. Green Bay, yeah. and he kind of put dug on on uh, the hot hot seat because they should have passed more than they did. Well, if you're the new coach and you were hired by Jeff Laurie and you had meetings with Jeff Laurie, you understand the uh, owner. Yeah, you want to do what the owner wants you to do when you're a first-time coach, getting a job for the first time. And maybe he was influenced that, listen, if we're going to do anything in the NFL, we have to be a very pass-happy team. Uh, and that might be why he called as many passes early in the season as he did. Might be, but, you know. You you lose games like that Dallas game. You're not going to be. It doesn't matter what your your play rotation is. You're not going to be a head coach for long. Hey, it worked out. The bottom line is the offense got a lot better. Uh, the next bottom line is they added some really nice tools in this off season. Yep. And I think if I'm Sean Steichen, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. Go on. Let me run something by you. Eagles related. Um. Our buddy Ruben Frank, who was part of the pregame show with you on the Eagles uh, pregame during the year, right? Ruben mm -hmm. jumps in and contributes with you guys. Oh, yeah. He does a great column every single week, 10, ten random observations from Ruben Amazing. Frank. Amazing. The, the, the stats he finds are astounding. Yes. Have you read this week's column yet? 
I don't believe I have. Okay, good. Then I will put you to the test because you'll not believe this. Okay. Um, most catches per game, one per game, most consecutive games with a catch to start an Eagles career. The answer is, who is the all-time uh, guy? That would be Devontae Smith because he caught one pass every game this past year for 17. Wait, no other rookie had ever done that? No other rookie had ever started his wow. career with at least one catch for 17 consecutive games. Huh. Here, here's the fun part. Who do you think he took the record from? Um, well, if I were not thinking that you're up to something, I would have said like a Fred Barnett kind of right, thing. Right. Uh, you're talking a rookie, right? And not like rookie. Terrell Owens. First yeah, okay, ever rookie. start your career as a rookie consecutive <clears throat> games with at least one catch. Well, my bet would have been Fred Barnett. So um, it's clearly not. So Freddie, very logical, is not the answer. Okay. I'll give you the answer. Jalen Rager. <laughs> Ra Rager in his rookie year caught oh a pass goodness. in 11 consecutive games and caught a pass for the first five games last year. So he took it to 16, and then at the end of the year when Devontae got a catch in the last game, he took it to 17. So the two current Eagles are the all-time leaders two in consecutive games yeah. to, to start their career with a catch. Yeah, it's like which of these doesn't belong, <laughs> as you just said. Now, um, now we're, we're back to uh, yeah, our pal getting, Steve Jeltz and his uh, teammates on that 83 Phillies yeah, team. And by, and by the way, I don't think anybody's going to say their favorite bad player is Jalen Rager. Oh, we we got an hour and uh, well, we, 50 yeah, minutes to go. Yeah, Somebody yeah. could check in. Well, they may, but uh, th that one that one would be uh, that would be a long shot for me. Uh, let's talk to John in Voorhees. You're on with Jody Mac, Glenn, uh, Jody McDonald, Glenn Mac. Now there you go. Hey, how you doing? Uh, hey, love both of you guys, Glenn and, and uh, Jody. Love you when you did Jody Mac. Do me a favor. Love that brother. I love uh, that. Appreciate that. So, so here I had two of them, just in case you think both of them were good. Uh, but I only had uh, the first one. Was, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold, on, hold on, hold on. Give us your salient sports point first. Oh, okay. So the the, the streaks. Uh, we got Miami with five in a row. People forget about it. They're right behind us. Then we got Philly's nine in a row, and the Braves ten in a row. So the Mets are feeling some pressure. But I just love uh, that we have a, a new season, man. I, I, there was a lot, plenty of baseball left. I'm not going to say it was a managerial change, but it, that's what happened. So we'll take it and run with it. And this guy's 8 no. He hasn't lost yet. So yeah. I think it's pretty neat. Yes. So you, I mean, it's great. No, no, it, it is great. I don't know that. I mean, the Mets can't be feeling pressure, right? They're still what eight <laughs> up, or six and a half up. What are they up? Six and a half. It's starting to shrink half. a little bit. Five uh, and that half. would be, boy, that would uh, be a collapse. Great. If if the Mets yeah, blew that early lead, which by the way mm -hmm. takes us back to what two thousand seven, that would yeah. be something. Hmm. Big time. All right, so, John, I can only take one, but give yeah, us yeah. a bad player who you really liked and why. See, now you guys are going to think he was a good player. Boy, i got to give you the story real quickly. But I was 10 years old, and there was a guy, number 38, loved him. He pitched a no-hitter that year. And my father comes to me because, Johnny, uh, the Phillies traded Rick Wise. I go, you got to be kidding no, me, Dad. Rick Wise, was a, Rick Wise was not a bad player. Jody, why is this hard to understand? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I thought you context. did a 
I thought you did a pretty damn good job of laying it out what type of player we were looking for. Uh, a player who was a reserve. He was a sub. He may have jumped up in one game like Steve Jelson, done something he'd never done before. Maybe it's a guy who hung around for seven or eight years but never could crack the starting lineup. It's not that difficult a concept, MacMan. Rick Wise played 18 years, made two All-Star games, won 188 Major League games. How is he not a good player? Because he was traded for Steve Carlton. That's well, the, that's the only reason you could think that. Uh, yeah, he was he was only okay because the guy that he was traded for, in comparison, yeah. oh, he really wasn't all that good. In comparison to Steve Carlton. Yeah. All right. This this this. I'm I'm not pulling the contest because I can't do that. Actually, I legally can't do that. But we, we, I I I started with the Aussie punter, right? And and he was terrible. He's so bad. I'm blanking on his name for the moment. Savraka. Better you, than Savraka. better than Aaron Sipas. That's I was about to say. Sipas. Yeah. Uh, right. Savraka. You had. I had Ish Smith. Who, right. Uh, did two tours of duty here in town. Neither of them memorable. That's what we're looking for. All right. We're going to take a break. We're gonna we're gonna reset here. Two one five. 592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. Hey, Jody, a couple things I want to ask you about. Um, I did not get to watch the Belmont yesterday. I have no doubt that you did. Oh, yes. Okay. Mo Donegal, the favorite. Good Irish and, horse. A good Irish horse gets the win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what, uh, what's your takeaway? Was unfortunately my second choice um, uh, for the horse racing aficionados out there. They'll know you not only have to handicap the talent of the horse, but you, the way you think the race is going to go. And there was a horse in the race by the name of We the People who drew the rail and looked yeah. to be the only speed in the race. Well, a horse by the name of Skippy Longstocking went with him and pressured him on the front end. The time wasn't. Name. Yeah, not a I mean, great name. You got to go through life with that name if you're that poor horse. Yeah, he does. Um, and uh, damn, if he didn't hang on for third, and my We the People uh, could do no better than fourth. So he pressured uh, We the People more uh, early in the race than I thought was going to be the case. Uh, Mo Donica was the most talented horse coming into the race and probably the one that figured most, and he went off as the favorite of the race. I tried to beat him by thinking that uh, a particular horse could steal it on the front end by grabbing the lead early and then being able to milk the entire mile and a half all the way around. Didn't happen that way. But a uh, good, very good day for some individuals and or groups. Todd Pletcher, the winning trainer, not only trains Modonical, but trains Nest, the filly that ended up coming up and finishing second. So uh, his horses ran 1-2 in the Belmont Stakes, and it was the first time that it happened since, like, 1985. Woody Stevens was the last trainer uh, to have two horses run first and second, complete the exacta. Uh, Mike Rapoli, a real New York guy. Sorry, Philly fans. He's a Met fan. He had a orange and blue tie on yesterday because he's a diehard Met fan. And he put in a bid before Steve Cohen. And beat, uh, bought the Mets when they changed ownership. He was one of the guys who was bidding to become the new owner when the Wilpons sold. Uh, but Rapoli's been in the horse racing game for 20, 25 years now and has some top flight horses. He is the owner of both horses as well that ran one, too. Uh, he is the uh, part of a partnership that owns Mo Donegal. He is the main owner of Nest, who ran second. 
And the two jockeys who finished one, two, the Ortiz brothers. I ran one. His brother Jose ran second. So the jockey brothers ran one, two. The owner was both uh, the winner of the first and second place horses, and the trainer trains both the first and second place horses. Something like that has never happened in horse racing before. Um. So it was a different winner of the... Oh, you know what? Let's play the end of the race. Here you go. Mosh hit the end of the race. Oh, Donegal comes charging up on the outside, and they're into the stretch, and Mo Donegal has taken the lead as they arrive from the final furlong. Nest is moved up into second, then we the people, and Skippy lawn stocking. It is going to be Mike Rapoli on two. Mo Donegal and Nest, Mo Donegal and Aaron Ortiz have won the Belmont Stakes. By the way, that guy is one of the great announcers in the in the country. Very good. And been calling it for NBC for about 10 years now. Tom Durkin, the previous guy, yeah. was a New York race call and called all the big races, Triple Crown races, is a buddy and is a, a friend. Uh, he has been well replaced since he stepped down. This guy Durkin is really good. It's, I mean, horse racing is exciting, but that he always nails it. Um, my last question on this is the, there was a separate winner for each of the three legs of the Triple Crown. Um, which I know takes takes away a little bit of luster because people want to see somebody go for it. How how often is it that it's three races, three separate winners? Um, we got into a pretty good stretch, Glenn, over the last couple of decades yeah. where we had the winner uh, of the Kentucky Derby win the Preakness as well yeah. and have a chance for a triple crown, right. including Smarty Jones, which is one of the best racing days ever, except for the result when he came up uh, just yeah, short and finished stumbles. second. Um, I would say probably half of the time. Usually uh, you get one that wins one and then another, either the first two or the first and the third. I'd say 50% of the time, somewhere thereabouts. And this year was, uh, at least for a guy like myself who believes in unwritten rules in sports, after you win the Kentucky Derby, you're kind of obligated to go to Baltimore yeah, two right? later. And they so. just turned their nose up at it and said, no, nah, we won't be bothered. We'll we'll show up in uh, New York five weeks later and take our uh, next shot in the Belmont. And he ran way the hell up the track. So uh, maybe there is a karma in sports uh, horse racing. Let's talk to Kelly. You're on with Jody and Glenn. Hey, Kelly. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? All right. Good. So I heard you guys talking because my father called to tell me that you were reminiscing with Steve Jeltz about the uh, game in 1989 that was actually my very first baseball game ever. Nice. So that turned me, it turned me into um, a lifelong Phillies fan. Love them or hate them. I'm, I'm usually in it until the very end when you can't stand to watch them anymore. I swear like, I'm not going to watch them. And then I watch them again, but it's all because of that first game. I mean, who took that game? My father. And, I mean, I'm thinking, if I'm a – how old were you, you said? I was 10. Okay. So if I'm a dad with a 10-year-old and the Phillies are down 10 to nothing after the first inning, I'm thinking, <laughs> there's no way we're making this. First of well, all, so the kid's not going to have the patience. Second of all, yeah. it's like I'll tell her, like, hey, let's, uh, we'll go out for ice cream. Let's blow out of here. Well, he took my brother two weeks prior – and Mike Schmidt was still on the team then, but then retired. So mm-hmm. I think he felt like he had to oblige and take me to a game as well. And then uh, he was late coming home from work, and we got in the car, and we were headed over, and you could hear 
the disgust in the announcers on the radio. Like they were down eleven to two, and we hadn't even crossed the bridge yet. Oh, <laughs> and he looked at me and at a red light, and he said, "Are you sure you still want to go?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I've never been. I don't care if they win or lose. I want to go. I mean, I have my glove in my hand. I was ready to go." Mm-hmm. So we get over there, and you know, they're chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, and. The next thing you know, it's a ball game. And at the end of that game, my dad said, see, that's why you never leave until the last out is made. Wow. That's a great story. Your response should have been, Dad, we need to get there before the first pitch is thrown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, they missed the bad parts. They saw the good parts. Uh, Good point, Glenn. That's true. (laughs) You you didn't have to suffer through the 10-run first inning. Wow. So then may you a Steve Jeltz fan for life? Well, I mean, I did like Steve Jeltz, but I, I do have an answer for that. I didn't hear what you guys were talking about earlier until my dad called me and clued me in. But, um, I mean, a Philly fan for life, for sure. My favorite Philly, I always say, is the Fanatic. But a, a player that wasn't good but came up big was um, Eric Bruntlett. I mean, he was not good, but he scored a big run in the uh, World Series in Tampa oh, Bay. He did. So you got a soft spot for Bruntlett. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And sometimes you'd be so frustrated with Pat the Bat, you couldn't wait for Bruntlett to come in. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, this was a great call. You did you did great, and you know what? Your dad, God bless him, taught you just a brilliant lesson, and give your dad our best as well. Will do. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. That was a great story. Great story, and uh, let me add one to it, because we've had trouble coming up with the ones, and God bless Kelly for coming up with a good one in Eric Bruntlett. It's usually that backup middle infielder guy. For that team, 83, went to a World Series, Steve Jeltz's first year, he fills that role. Eric Bruntlett filled it for the 2008 team. For the 93 team, MacMan, you and I were just getting together as partners for yes. the first time, and the Phillies went to the World Series that year, kind of out of nowhere, macho row, all that. And uh, we had tickets for uh, all the games because I had a press pass, but I bought tickets and I had to share my press pass with someone else from WIP. So I got to go on the press pass every other game for that playoff run. And the other game, I would go with my wife to the game. If I had the press pass and my wife would bring a friend of hers and she would go to the games and we would go to the uh, it's now called oh. Live, oh, the gosh, casino I, I know that is going. built where it used to be a hotel that was owned by Ron Jaworski. Yeah. And oh, we would go over going. there afterwards for uh, a post-game celebratory, either cocktail or drown our sorrows or whatever else. And a couple Philly players stayed and lived in that hotel. And every once in a while... did. Uh, Fergosi, I think, was there the whole time. He was the yeah, Phillies manager. He lived uh, there. But a couple players would, and uh, some of them would come into the bar and others wouldn't, but one that always did, Kim Batiste. Yeah. <laughs> and we would see him in there after all these playoff games, and specifically after a win, we'd try to buy Kim Batiste a beer, and he was one of my wife's favorite players just because we would see him in the hotel after the playoff games. Yeah. And Kim Batiste is that same type of player as Eric Bruntlett and Steve Jeltz for a, a World Series Phillies team. And had his Got to love the backup middle infielders. And had his moment against the Braves in that postseason. Right. Uh, if I recall correctly, makes an error early in the game and then drives in the winning run late in the game. I think They're it was been, a walk-off. You think he walked off the break? I don't I remember I think that. there was a Kim Batiste heroic moment, yeah. Harry I, Callis. Kim, Kim Batiste, remember we had Anthony on yesterday? I'm guessing there, there could be a Kim Batiste 
Him All-time call in those top 20. In the top 20. Got to get into the top 20 because we've heard the others, and I don't remember it, Kim Batiste. But I do remember him, and that's the type of individual I think you were trying to get through to our listeners. Yes. Your wife wins. Who... Yes. <laughs> she also, like me and Ish Smith, ineligible to win the yes. prize. You, um, what was I going to say? But Oh, you know, here's the other thing I remember about Kim Batiste, and we used to work together way back in the day, right? People would always call us with trades. Which is one of the reasons now I never like, like don't call me about a trade because they're never going to work. And they say, like, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll trade them Jeff Manto and Todd Pratt, and we'll get their, the, their number one starter. Right. And we go like, well, that's not going to work. And they'd say, all right, we'll throw in Kim Batiste. <laughs> Yeah, quantity doesn't equal quality. We'll give them six of our reserves right. and underachievers, and we'll get their best player. Yeah, but we're giving them six guys. Yeah, but yeah, if we no, have to, we'll, we'll put Batiste in to, to even it out. Oh, always. He was always the one. Uh, do we seek another call now? We'll take a break, then we'll get back to the callers. And another topic or two to throw in. 215-592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94. WIP, Johnny McDonald, Glenn Mack now, Phil's uh, Arizona coming up at uh, a little bit after 1 o'clock. Uh, we will be moving to leading off at 1230. Uh, let's talk to, I want to get an Eagles call in here. Let's get David in Fort Myers. Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? All right. Well, I just wanted to mention something about the Eagles. You know, we've had a great off season. And uh, nobody talks about this one undrafted rookie that we got. And his name is Carson Strong, quarterback. And this kid has potential to be a franchise quarterback. And I wondered what you know about him. Have you looked at any tape? What I know about him is that he has the injuries are going to probably, well, I'll put it a different way. What I know about him is, Hope that injuries do not prevent him from having an NFL career, but he's going against the odds. He's had some. Really- yeah, he has the Sam Bradford knee, from what I read, but uh, he has a Josh Allen arm and accuracy. Where do you see this guy play? He he's really could be a diamond in the rough. I think he's a ten, twelve year backup quarterback in the league. And and I got a Phillies observation. I hope Hold I on, can. Hold on, Jody. You're not going on Carson Strong again. I I just think that from everything he went undrafted for a reason, and the reason is because nobody believes he's going to be able to put up with the the, the knee, the physical the rigors of an NFL career. I I I hope he can, but I again oh, they, wait, got, him for, they got him for they play. got him for nothing. I know I I know I've seen him play. I've seen him play. But Jody, but the, call, the caller him? makes a good point that he could stick around for a decade because he could be a backup. And, oh, by the way, you don't take too many shots when you're the backup quarterback. You're just there as a safety net. Um, my my uh, draft expert du jour is a guy, Rick Saratel. I don't know if you've ever heard him on the air with me, uh, Glenn. He puts out the NFL Draft Bible. He's, I remember uh, your old one. Loved your old one. Dave T. Thomas. Dave T. had forever. <laughs> yeah. Did you? I don't think you and I ever discussed this. Dave got out of the uh, draft handicapping business. He became an agent. Yes. And he was Connor Barwin's agent. Yes. So I got a chance to talk to Dave when Connor was a player for the Eagles and the like. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Dave. Um, but oh. he was my guy forever. And I got to know Rick Saratel. I met him at the draft one day, did a show from the draft. He and I hit it off. He's been coming on my shows for now close to a decade himself. 
He had Carson Wentz as his number two quarterback in the draft. Carson back Strong. Back in September. Carson Strong. Did I say Wentz? Yeah, I've done it. My bad. Uh, Carson, he had him as the number two quarterback. Even when he didn't have as good a season and his knee became more of a question, he didn't move off him. Going into the draft, he still had him ranked as the third most draftable quarterback, and I think there were eight or nine quarterbacks that were drafted, none of which were Carson Strong. So my guy stuck by him. So if Ricky says that he's got the arm, he's got the prerequisite skills to play in the NFL, I think the Eagles made a heck of a free agent signing. We'll find out. We'll we'll see what he does when he gets into camp and actually has to perform in an NFL game. Um, but a, a guy who I trust, who does this for a living, evaluates college talent and projects as to what they can be in the NFL, stuck by him this year. So uh, I'm kind of excited, like the caller is, that the Eagles got a steal as an undrafted guy. So do I have time to make my Phillies observation? Sure, go for it. So, so Girardi, analytical coach that he is, knows in the book, doesn't listen to the advanced scouts. Well, if you watch last night's game, I'm sure Thompson listened to the advanced scouts. We stole three bases. Yeah. We'd never do that with Girardi. No, I love that. I love that. I love I love stealing bases. I, I, I think, and it's... I appreciate that you made that point. I really miss the stolen base in baseball, Jody. And, I mean, he is correct, which is that analytics is what basically has killed the stolen base because the mathematicians who now run baseball say it's not the risk-reward factor doesn't make it worth it. And so just, you know, get on base via hit or walk and then, you know, hope the next guy up hits a two-run home run, Um, which to my mind has made baseball very boring and I think there are times when you you can steal. I was surprised to see that Madison Bumgarner as a lefty uh, allowed three steals, but hey, he did, and they took advantage. And I would love to see. I'm not again. I'm not talking about going back to the days, you know, when the Oakland Athletics would steal 200 bases a year. But I'd love to see the the Phillies get four or five stolen bases a week. And I will say this. Um, we shouldn't have expected this team to steal a lot of bases before the season started. Um, Kyle Swarber wasn't brought in here to steal bases. Nick Castellanos wasn't brought in here to steal bases. Uh, so this was not going to be a, a, a high-volume base-stealing team, because you're right, it's just kind of disappeared throughout the game. But they had actually been okay. They had 33 steals before yesterday's game. I don't think they'd had a three-steal game all year. But it hadn't been like they had never run. They ran a little under Girardi, and they actually had some success at it. Yeah, well, a little more works for me. I'm trying to think of who does. Well, Segura can run, but he's out. Uh, Real Muto, as they always say, for a catcher can run. Has six stolen bases. Yeah, Harper can steal. Sometimes Harper will run into and out, as we all know. Uh, who am I missing? Well, Roman Quinn's not there anymore. Right. They had Roman for a while. I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take these steals where I can get them. Um, hey, let me ask you. Uh, I'm just curious. Um, we don't talk about golf a lot. There is now this new LIV tournament, and the PGA announced on Thursday, I think, that it's banning all players participating in that Saudi tournament from PGA events going forward. Uh, it, this is it's a weird stalemate, and there's lots of drama. And the Masters, you know, is the Masters going to ban these guys, or the next tournament's going to ban these guys? Um, I watched a lot of this. I didn't watch the tournament, but I watched a lot of the press around it and the press, uh, the, the conferences and stuff. It really seems like this 
LIV thing is is ready to go full wrestling heel moving forward. They they tossed a longtime golf reporter out of the news conference the other day, security yep. guards, for asking a question, and Greg Norman is kind of standing there snickering about the whole thing. Um, but can, can I jump in here? Yeah, uh, please. For that sure. point that you made. Yeah. The individual that was tossed out is the guy who wrote the unauthorized biography of Phil Mickelson. Yeah. So that's why they tossed him out. It wasn't because they didn't want someone in there that could ask a question that would fly in the face of what they were trying to do. It was a Mickelson who's a big part of what they're doing, and he was the guy that they recruited probably as hard as anybody else. He and this writer have major issues because he wrote things that Mickelson is uh, denying and the like. So, I, I, Yeah, but you don't throw reporters out if if the if – the guy you're writing about doesn't like the story. The Phillies aren't going to throw a guy out of the clubhouse if he wrote a nasty story about Bryce Harper. You don't do that. That's mm. not. It's not the way pro sports leagues work. You know, Phil doesn't have to talk to the guy, but you can't just toss the guy. Uh, true. Um, I, our buddy Mike Sealski uh, was once uh, buffed by a, a hockey player who didn't like his commentary. But you're right. At least they let they didn't Mike toss Sealski him out of the news conference. Right. True. Um, and the other, the, the, the larger question I have, I, I, I read a Rick Riley piece on this. I'm not a huge Rick Riley fan, but I agree that so much of this, and I don't want to get into the whole politics, but I don't think it's going over the line, is the Saudis trying to, as they say, sports wash their yep. sins. But my other question to you is, is anybody going to watch because golf, the golf audience, by and large, is not a younger crowd, right? If you take the demographics of all of the sports – Golf is going to have one of the older ones. And currently, I mean, people watch golf, you know, kind of snoozing in front of the TV as the back nine is going down at 6 o'clock on a Sunday. Are these people going to find, look for and find this tournament on YouTube or wherever else it's not on their major networks? Possibly because they did well and got some big-name players like Mickelson, like Dustin Johnson. This isn't like... The USFL trying to run spring football. The NFL is the NFL, and anything compared to it is going to look like a minor league uh, outfit. Oh, this USFL. Okay. Yeah, this USFL. Yeah, I think you meant the last or, USFL, right, which which signed all those big-name players. Right. Okay, right. gotcha. Th- that would be more of a comp to what we're looking at right now. Right. Um, the former USFL. No, I'm talking about the fact that – Did you do you even know that the Philadelphia Stars are going to make the USFL playoffs? I do not. I've watched yeah. about twenty minutes of that, and then decided I, you know, I had other I, things I, I could better I think, do. I think you lead me twenty to fifteen. Uh, I think I've watched <laughs> about fifteen minutes. Oh, there you um, go. But it is, uh, and we could get off on a tangent of how can the Philadelphia be stars be playing in Birmingham, Alabama, for their home games? Well, because everybody plays their games in Birmingham, Alabama, for their home games. Um, no, there is. Because they've got the kind of money that it takes to woo these players away from the PGA, they're going to have top-flight stars. Now, you're right. They need a broadcast outlet that people aren't going to have to go to great lengths just to find. If they do, I think it actually has a chance to do okay. I hope not, and I don't know because, I mean, when they didn't get Tiger to me, that was the whole game. Because there's, I don't know that golf fans will chase Phil Mickelson anymore. 
Dustin Johnson's a good name, but I don't I don't know. Um, and their tournaments are kind of bogus. These three day things. I I predict. Well, listen, they have they have all the money in the world, as right. I said, the blood money in the world, so they can probably afford to keep it going. But I I predict failure. So. I, I think it's too early to say. Um, you know, that's our job is to come up with predictions well before uh, there's enough evidence to actually make a wait. cogent prediction. Um, it all comes down to you hit the nail on the head. What is their TV outlet going to be? If if it's us, uh, I don't think they're going to get a, a TV contract done with the Golf Network because uh, the PGA oh, is yeah. so in lockstep with them. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But can they get a reasonable cable outlet here in America. They'll have international uh, because the international isn't tied to the American game as much, so they'll be able to put it up on a satellite and show it across the world, but they do want to make inroads with uh, the U.S. They need a, uh, a reasonable television outlet, and if they can get that, I think they'll put up good enough numbers uh, that it won't be a pin. You mean like, uh, like, uh, like a TNT, kind of, like that yeah. ilk of a network? Correct. Yeah, we'll see. Again, the problem with TNT is now they're doing both the NBA and the NHL. So there's only so many hours to go around where you can uh, uh, put your uh, product up there on uh, Friday. They do, excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yep. All right, let's get Steve in Kennett Square. Hey, Steve. Steve, are you with us? Steve. I believe Steve unfortunately took a powder. Let's get Jimmy. Hey, Jim. Good day, you fellas. Hey there. Hey. I got a uh, short anecdote related to my uh, Philly lesser light, but I just wanted to say quickly that uh, I'm so glad the Phillies were uh, able to stop the bleeding and uh, kind of climb back into the race. And uh, if we play meaningful games in October, I'm going to look back to the night that John Middleton was walking the stands at Citizens Bank Park getting people's input because it was only a day or two later when uh, Girardi got fired. You think that was the key, huh? Yeah, well, I'm, I wasn't a big Girardi fan, and I'm No, no, I, I, I appreciate that, but I, I don't think he did it based on what he heard that night. But I Well, I, 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 I hope he took it into account. But anyway, to get to my anecdote, uh, going back at least 40 years, I'm in my 60s now, but when I was in my 20s, I used to uh, have about 12 different venues. I'd look for pickup games to play full court and uh, at the YMCA in Voorhees, a lot of the 76ers would sometimes show up just to play uh, with us. They'd play scrimmage games with us. He had uh, Lloyd Free, uh, Jelly Bean Bryant, Daryl wow. Balkin, Leo Routens. And uh, one day I got, it was my uh, fate to have to defend Dawkins. Now, if you can imagine, <laughs> I'm six. I'm six foot five and 170 pounds soaking wet, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to defend him. And my best defense seemed to be to just make the guy laugh and try to distract him. But at one point, I had my uh, Chuck Taylor's dug into the hardwood, and all of a sudden, I smelled rubber burning. And I realized that it was him pushing me across the floor like a, a football sled. It was my sneakers on fire. <laughs> wow. Uh... You're not going to tell us that he was the the player, though. No, no, he's not the player, though. Uh, Among the guys that did show up back then was a fellow by the name of Coneal Norman. And he was not one of the stars of the team. But, uh, you know, when you prompted us about, you know, uh, Philly Lesser Lights, 
uh, it made me think back to how good-natured and good-humored he was and how uh, unselfish he was with his time. And as a result of that, I, you know, whenever I watched the Sixers play back then, I, I used to find myself uh, you know, rooting for him. Yeah, I like that. By the way, Jimmy, I mean, for you to be able to tell your kids, your grandkids, whoever comes along that, yeah, you played pickup with, Daryl Dawkins, Jelly Bean Bryant. What was the other name you threw in at the start? Oh, World Be Free. Yeah, you were you were playing in some pretty good. Jody, who are the best players you ever played against on a regular basis? Because Jody can um, play hoops. Yeah, uh, not of the same level. Vern Fleming. Does that name ring a bell for either of you two guys? Uh, uh, no, that's not he Vernon played, Maxwell. Played in the NBA for about eight or nine years. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, Indiana Pacers uh, was the best player I played against in high school, and okay. he played for Matter Day, which became a different named school, whatever. But I uh, played him. He was the best uh, NBA level talent that I ever played against. That's pretty good. And I that's played... when I was. That's when I was. Uh, I think I was seventeen. He was eighteen. He was year ahead of me in school. So yes, a uh, long time ago in. I didn't play against Daryl Dawkins when he was an NBA-type player oh, with the body that Daryl Dawkins had. Thank you, no. I'd be lacing up my Chuck Taylors and leaving the gym if Chocolate Thunder walked in. I played hockey against a guy who was a second-round pick in the NHL uh, and ended up leading the NHL in a very important category one year. What was that? It was plus-minus. except Really? That, he was on the wrong end of it. Oh, mine is a big number, huh? He went to the, uh, his name was Pete Scamura. He went to high school with me. I mean, he was a great player. And he, uh, his daughter was in the Olympics this year. He uh, was a second round pick of the Capitals. If you remember when the Capitals came into the league and their first year, they were like eight and 74 or something like that. He was a defenseman who had a lot of ice time. And guess what? They were. He's got scored on a whole bunch of goals. Were scored. What was his daughter? What sport was his daughter in the Olympic hockey? His daughter was an Olympic hockey player. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It was. It was actually. I turned it on and saw the name and thought, "It's got to be right." And in fact, it was. So that was that was pretty nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Let's take in one or two more calls. Uh, Vince in South Philly. You're on with Jody and Glenn. Hey, Vince. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Hey. hey, going real quick, I agree with you. I'm a geographical snob when it comes to hockey. So. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Get those Sunbelt teams. You know, Jody, the Sunbelt cities have enough. They don't need our hockey. Anyway, also, also i got to agree with you. Look, I'm not apologizing. I know things even out, but I'm, I'm loving this Phillies win streak, and I'm glad I agreed with you, too, on that tweet when you called out that – Guy who used to be in the Philadelphia media market he used to be a regular on Ricky Ricardo show for the pump the brakes nonsense. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He said everybody relax, uh, and he said that within a year Bryce Harper's going to be demanding a trade, and he did this after the Phillies had won like six or seven in a row. It's very, very inept tweet that he had. By the way, that. and also my player, so to speak, I guess he would be the definitive cup of coffee type of player. With the Flyers from the mid-70s. In fact, it was uh, 1977. Al Hill, in his NHL debut, had five oh, yeah. points for the Flyers. Really? Yeah, yes. it was great. He had two goals and three assists. And, some, and they even said he also had a fight. He almost had, a, they said, kind of a double Gordie Howe night. Yeah. You know, it was, so, it but, was like the greatest debut that anybody ever had. 
Yeah, and, and I remember then, watching. I, I don't it. have it at my disposal, but like for the rest of his career, he had like 15 goals or something. Yeah, and 95 points for his career, and five of them came that night. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was up and down for over like he actually lasted like seven years in the NHL. But yeah, it was fascinating. And Fred Shearer made a wisecrack. Goes, I didn't even know he was on the team. <laughs> you know, so like I just thought it was so great though, and I think it still stands. So I, I don't know. You know, that's a good can... one. Well, Moshe's uh, Moshe's going to be the judge, so we'll leave it up to him. But that is a good one. Jody, imagine, right, you're you're a kid. I don't know how old Al Hill was at the time, 21, 22 years old, right? You get the call up to the big leagues. I mean, you can have this for any sport, right? But, in, you know, it's like you're going to play your first game for the Flyers. And, the uh, I don't know, am I going to get ice time? Who am I going to play with? What's going to happen? And in your first game, you get five points. Like, do you think after that, like, oh, I, I own this. I got this thing. I, I got this yeah. thing. Who said this was going to be hard? It's funny the way that Vince described it, and I'm 100% honest. I don't remember Al Hill. His career came and went before I paid close enough attention. I apologize for not knowing of his exploits in his uh, NHL debut, but the way he described it, it made me think of Michael Carter Williams from a couple of years ago. You remember he had yeah. an unbelievable debut, and we've got the guy, and the process is going to work because Michael Carter Williams is the new point guard. Kind of like Al Hill, he stuck around. He might have even been in the NBA this past year. He's never turned out to be anything other than a role player off the bench, eight-minute-a-game guy. But after that first game, oh, man, the Sixers have found the new Magic Johnson. No, there you go. All right, let us go to Moshe Kravitz. Moshe, we had some good answers and a lot of bad answers, and you are, uh, as we said, the judge on our prize today. Who wins the $50 gift card to Shy Vintage Sports? Yeah, well, some of those bad answers, we were looking for a good bad player, not a bad player bad answer. Um, but couple, <laughs> Or a good player. Or, or an actually good player. Right. A um, couple good answers in this last segment. And uh, and Kelly in, in Jersey had Eric Bruntlett, which was pretty fitting, uh, you know, to go with a a Phillies infielder. But I feel like the most creative answer was from Howard in Pottstown with Marvis Frazier, because Joe Frazier is an all time great Philadelphia, an all time great boxer, and you know, to, instead of just like, oh yeah, a bench player on this team or whatever, it was this. You know, the second generation of an all-time great who ends up doing nothing with his career, with his athletic career, I should say. Apparently, he's a great pastor now. Uh, so I, I want to give it to Howard in Pottstown. I like that. that I like it, me. too. Because Marvis, hey, he had two losses in his career to Larry Holmes and Mike Tyson. Uh, I don't think he needs to be ashamed of that at all. He was a very good heavyweight who got title shots. He just was mismatched in those two outings. Yeah, he fits the criteria that Glenn laid out at the top of the show, uh, and I I thought that was a uh, good one as well. And by the way, when you lose those two fights like you lose them, it's a good time to say, like, you know what? I'm going to reconsider my career. I've always had a calling for the cloth. There you go. It works perfectly. All right, this week in Philadelphia Sports History brought to you by Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at shybesports.com. Stay tuned. Leading off coming up as the Phillies today aim to continue the winning streak, amazing winning streak, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's going to be Ranger Suarez for the Phillies and that lefty Kyle Nelson for the Diamondbacks right here on 94 WIP. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.